Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy. You know, the two midnight rule is really a game of prediction. I'm your host, Alan Weil. Medical advances have enabled many people to be cared for appropriately in an outpatient setting rather than being admitted to a hospital. Yet, since Medicare payment rates are generally lower for outpatient visits than inpatient hospital stays, hospitals have a financial incentive to admit patients. Observing what were believed to be inappropriate admissions, Medicare adopted in 2013 the so-called two-midnight rule, stating that hospitals would only be paid inpatient rates if the patient was expected to stay in the hospital over two nights. The rule was controversial, but what isn't controversial is the data showing that it changed hospital behavior. Now, the two-midnight rule is part of a larger effort to assure appropriate payments within Medicare. The effects of the rule and whether or not it has achieved its objectives is the topic of today's health policy. I'm here with Dr. Sabrina Poon, an assistant professor of emergency medicine at the Vanderbilt University Medical Center. Dr. Poon and colleagues published a paper in the November 2021 issue of Health Affairs investigating how the two-midnight rule affected inpatient admissions and outpatient observation stays. They conclude that the shift from inpatient to observation stays is directly associated with adoption of the rule, the change occurred quickly after the rule was implemented, and it had different effects for patients with more chronic conditions. We'll discuss these findings and more in today's episode. Dr. Poon, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. This is a really interesting and important paper. It covers a topic that if you haven't been steeped in it, you might wonder what it is. So let's just start with the basics here. What is the two midnight rule and why was it adopted? Yeah, well, thanks so much for the great interjection. I think, uh, you know, you covered a lot of it, but, um, you know, as you mentioned, there has been a push to deliver care in outpatient settings because, you know, we are able to do so safely, but also to be good stewards of healthcare and to ensure, um, you know, care is being appropriately reimbursed. And so the two midnight rule really um, became uh, a rule in order to try to determine which stays were appropriate for outpatient care and which stays were appropriate for inpatient care. And so what it states is that uh, stays that are expected to last less than two midnights would be more appropriate for outpatient care, and stays that uh, are lengthier would be more appropriate for inpatient care. Um, And this determination uh, is expected to be made prospectively, that is, at the time of admission. So this term expected reminds me of the hospice rule, which is you only go into hospice if you're expected to live six months or less. Who has this expectation? How do we figure out if the expectations are right or real, or is someone second guessing this? It, it's it's an it's a great concept, but it sounds really hard to operationalize. Yeah, and I think in some cases it is quite challenging. Uh, so I practice clinically in the emergency department, and when we decide that a patient needs hospital care. Uh, there's two options. You can admit them to observation or you can admit them as an inpatient. Uh, And we get help to make that determination, at least where I practice and I think in many other hospitals, by um, case managers who 
do this every day. Uh, you know, I think in our hospital, the majority of the hours of the day, more than not, uh, when we admit a patient, we some get, you know, a page that says reviewed case, recommend outpatient status or reviewed case, recommend inpatient status. And so when we go to sign the admission order, it'll say, you know, outpatient or inpatient. And that determination has been reviewed by somebody who does this, you know, a lot. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, they ask for our input and and we have to guess um, based on the clinical status, uh, how long we think the patient will be admitted for. And I think in some cases we're pretty good at it. And uh, sometimes we get it wrong because, you know, complications arise or, you know, on the other hand, things may be more simple than we anticipate them to be. So it's imperfect. A lot of times what happens in the hospital is that uh, status will change. And so we see um, not, it was not in our paper, but um, in a different paper that nearly half of all hospital care admissions change statuses from observation to inpatient or vice versa to course correct that prediction that happens on the front end. So if I'm a patient, do I care whether I'm admitted inpatient or to observation? What are the implications for me as a patient? So as a patient, uh, Medicare reimburses inpatient and observation care differently. And that matters because inpatient care falls under Part A and outpatient care falls under Part B. Uh, And there are some different rules around that. So uh, more specifically for inpatient care, there's an inpatient deductible that essentially covers 60 days worth of care from the day of admission. Uh, And so if you get discharged on day five, for example, and get readmitted on day 55, you don't have to pay that deductible again. And that's if you're readmitted as an inpatient. So say you get discharged on day five as an inpatient and then get readmitted to observation on day 55, you would then fall under new rules. And so outpatient observation care is reimbursed under Part B, uh, which has, uh, you know, 20% cost share uh, and also um, doesn't qualify you for certain post-acute care, including in skilled nursing facility. And I think that's where a lot of the controversy actually falls. So it's a slightly mixed picture because I'm getting, if I'm in an outpatient uh, observation unit, I may have at the moment a little bit lower cost because it's a lower cost setting, but I might have higher aggregate cost if there's a readmission or if I need other services. It's not sort of black and white here, which is better for me financially. And then just as you're thinking about that, since you're a clinician, might I care medically or is it really uh, the same from a clinical perspective? I think from a clinical perspective, Uh, You know, in theory, if you're admitted as a patient, you will get done what you need to get done. Uh, I think in general, clinicians uh, try to provide the right care. Um, A lot of times we are uh, blind as a clinician as to, you know, what status you're under unless somebody is asking us specific questions about status review. Otherwise, we're providing the the care that you need. There are some incentives, I think, if a patient is admitted under observation, you know, the hospital gets reimbursed differently than if a patient were admitted to inpatient. And can you say a little more about that? I mean, setting aside the two-midnight rule, hospitals are in the business of 
inpatient admissions and outpatient services. Is it clear which is better for the hospital? Well, that's an interesting question. So is it clear which is better for the hospital? I think inpatient reimbursement is higher, but you're also providing more services. Um, And outpatient reimbursement tends to be lower, uh, but you're also providing less services in general. Um, And so I think in, in theory, it should match to the care that is being provided. So the rule is adopted with an eye to the notion that some of these admissions are inappropriate. Let's get into your research and the findings. What happened with short-term stays? What happened with observation stays after the rule was adopted? We found that right after adoption of the two midnight rule, there was an immediate decrease in short inpatient stays uh, and an immediate increase in short outpatient stays. And so the magnitude of that increase and decrease was comparable, suggesting that one stay was substituting for another. In other words, there was a shift. What we saw before the two midnight rule was that there was a trend in this direction, and the rule really accelerated this trend uh, in an immediate way. Um, And after that immediate change, really not that much happened after that. We think that there was potentially a clinical limit in predicting whether a stay is short or long, um, meaning that, you know, we're, we're now doing the best that we can. I think the other reason for that was the change was a reaction to the, the rule itself um, because there were some, you know, changes in enforcement and uh, some delays in enforcement. All of that didn't really have as much of an effect. It was really the rule itself, the introduction of that concept of, you know, two midnights are left less observation, more inpatient that created that immediate shift. Now, often a policy is adopted to address a problem that's growing. And so you see the lines going in one direction, the policy comes in, they go in a different direction. You say, that makes sense. Here you're saying actually that some of the shift from inpatient to observation was already occurring before the rule went into effect. There are a lot of ways to interpret that. It could be that the consideration of the rule got hospitals to rethink their practices. It could be that uh, these trends were happening for clinical reasons, uh, even in advance of the rule, or there could be other reasons that I'm not thinking of. Do we have a sense of why the trend had already started to shift in the direction the rule anticipated before it was put into place? Yeah. So before the two midnight rule, there was a program that really started in 2006, the recovery audit program. Uh, And it took a few years to implement, uh, didn't get fully implemented until um, 2010. But the program uses recovery audit contractors to identify waste in Medicare. And essentially they identified that many admissions were occurring in the wrong setting. So in in the inpatient setting instead of observation. And so already before the two midnight rule, uh, there was a movement to, uh, you know, decrease potentially inappropriate short inpatient stays through this mechanism. And the two midnight rule really crystallized the definition of what inappropriate meant by the length of stay. So that trend, I think, was probably because of that program and um, the, you know, crystallization of that definition through the two midnight rule really kind of pushed 
that immediate change. Well, we've discussed some of the top line findings, but there's a lot more in the paper and there's a lot more about this policy that we should discuss. We'll do that after we take a short break. Healthcare decision-making affects patients and families, yet their perspectives are not always factored into health policy discussions. Each month, Health Affairs produces personal essays from the front lines of care through our Narrative Matters series. You can now listen to the authors reading their stories on our Narrative Matters podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen. And we're back. I'm speaking with Dr. Sabrina Poon about the effects of Medicare's two-midnight rule. Before the break, we were talking about the overall effects that the policy had. I want to go now a little bit deeper. Um, You mentioned the shift. You mentioned that it happened fairly quickly. Um, But there are other findings in the paper. We don't need to walk through all of them, but one of them in particular has to do with the number of chronic conditions that people have. And if there are other major findings you want to bring out, uh, why don't you run through some of those right now? Sure. So we saw that this substitution effect I mentioned uh, between you know the short inpatient stays shifting towards short outpatient stays uh, was more pronounced for those with more chronic conditions. So typically sicker, more complex patients. Uh, and we hypothesized that for these patients, they were probably traditionally admitted to inpatient status because, you know, they were thought to be sicker and need more care, longer care, more services, et cetera. The rule probably caused clinicians to pause and reconsider whether or not these patients really did require, you know, lengthier stays. We think that's why this shift was more pronounced for those patients. We also see that the shift wasn't as pronounced for, you know, those with fewer chronic conditions. You also mentioned a timing issue and suggested that potentially there's sort of a maximum shift that's possible clinically. Uh, Can you just say a little more about that? Yeah, I mentioned, you know, the two midnight rule is really a game of prediction. And when a patient comes to the hospital, you can generally predict what their hospital course might be, how long they would need, what services, uh, but we're not perfect at it, and certainly things change during the course of a hospitalization. I think the two-minute rule really caused people to potentially appropriately uh, think about the use of those services and which status would be more appropriate, um, but I think we've come to a point now where we've predicted as well as we can be expected to. Um, And there are some patients who uh, enter the hospital and uh, again, things change and, you know, there's just no way of accounting for that. It's beyond our clinical capabilities. You know, we don't have a crystal ball necessarily to predict how each patient is going to behave in in the hospital and, and what will happen. That uh, leads to potential um, solutions, which is why don't we take the length of time a patient actually stays in the hospital um, as the basis of you know outpatient observation reimbursement versus inpatient reimbursement? I think some would say that that may not incentivize uh, clinicians to treat the patient uh, efficiently, for example, um, and. I think there are some policies that could, um, you know, address that. For example, a low-cost outlier policy 
Before I before I let you keep going, let's <laughs> let's talk about uh, that because that term is probably not familiar to everyone. And it just occurs to me that you know throughout healthcare there are all these checkers and checkers of checkers, and we just had a recent paper on the cost of drug utilization management, and it's sort of this escalating war of of people uh, challenging each other and then pushing back it does lend itself to this question of rather than checking everything, could we look at the distribution and look at outliers and try to focus our resources there? This is a common technique in auditing where you, you put your auditing resources where the risk is greatest. So now that I've given you that little lead in, why don't you say a little bit more about the outlier concept and how that might translate into policy and how that would look different than the two midnight rule. Yeah. So it's essentially saying, you know, instead of trying to predict how patients are going to behave, um, why don't we see what the, what actually happened? And if a patient really spent a small amount of resources, you know, reimburse it appropriately by essentially taking this outlier and, you know, wrapping um, a payment model around it, essentially, that will account for the low amount of care that was spent so that you're not, um, you know, providing a, a larger reimbursement for care that wasn't rendered. The problem, the potential problem with that is that you're not necessarily incentivizing, I think I alluded to this, but you're not incentivizing that, um, you know, observation outpatient level care by doing that. But, you know, you balance that with all the resources that are currently being spent, you know, trying to decide (laughs) whether or not a stay ahead of time is going to be short or long. So there are, I think there are pros and cons to both. Yeah, say a little more about the resources. I was struck, you mentioned sort of as you're practicing, you have a whole team and you mentioned case managers. And I think, well, those are people who are, you know, coordinating care and making sure you're getting what you need. But if they're doing this sort of algorithm estimating, that seems like a really different kind of task. Um, And I assume it takes a fair amount of clinician time as well. Um, So where does this sort of fit in the the hospital patient flow and in the resource uh, consumption that uh, that it requires in order in order to implement a rule like this? Yeah, we uh, cite a paper um, that found that, uh, you know, 40% of nurse case manager jobs are for status determination and um, about five full-time equivalents. So that's five full-time jobs per institution. Uh, Some combination of nurses, physicians, other administrators are for status determination. I mentioned, you know, in my institution, we have somebody who's reviewing admissions, you know, for more hours of the day than not to you know, help you make that status determination. So, um, and then there's retrospective review. And I think while patients are in the hospital, they're always reviewing. And so there's a tremendous amount of administrative burden to determine whether or not a status is appropriate or not. Now, presumably that's not all related to the two midnight rule, or is it? Um, I think a lot of it is. Um, You know, the the two midnight rule is certainly, I I mentioned it's, it helps people decide whether or not status is appropriate by length of stay. And I think, um, you know, when they're reviewing all these cases, that's certainly, you know, the first rule that they're referring to to make that determination. 
that's a lot of resources going to uh, just a, a, a bureaucratic or administrative decision. I understand it has significant implications for the patient and the hospital, but uh, it's not clinical care. And we're always looking for where our resources are going that aren't providing clinical care. Uh, before I let you go, are there other policy options or should we think about this policy in a broader context of payment reform that might take us away from just the details of this one policy to think how we just do a better job of promoting efficiency in payment in the Medicare program? Yeah, I think there's a, a couple ways uh, to go about it. And one of them is um, less radical. <laughs> and I think the other one is more radical. Um, you know, one of the major controversies of the rule is that um, skilled nursing facility stays are not, you know, included after an observation visit. And so um, there have been people who have lobbied for the inclusion of those after observation visits, you know it does affect a very small number of individuals who end up having observation stays, 1% or less. Um, but it, it is significant uh, if you had to shoulder the cost of a skilled nursing facility stay. Um, and so that that would almost be, I don't want to say an easy fix because nothing is <laughs> easy in, you know, health healthcare reform. Um, but certainly that, that would, I think, allay some concerns uh, appropriately. So, from uh, individuals who, and, and many groups, um, uh, that, that would help. Um, the other more radical suggestion is to reconsider status as a whole. Um, you know, why do we need status determination at all? Uh, you know, many times individuals are being admitted to the hospital uh, and an observation patient may be sharing the same room as a patient who's admitted to inpatient status. They, they just have different administrative statuses. Um, and so those are some of the suggestions we make in the paper is, um, you know, the care being rendered is the same setting. Um, isn't there some better way through an outlier policy or through, you know, a mini DRG, for example, that, care can be reimbursed that would, you know, really reduce um, some of the administrative burden. Uh, and I, I guess the only other thing that I would want to highlight is, um, you know, I'm an emergency physician. And so um, there's been uh, a lot of work in the last decade or two uh, standing up these so-called emergency department observation units. Um, and these are um, generally for specific conditions that can typically be managed within, you know, a day or two. Um, patients who require more observation or, you know, a couple discrete tests before, you know, we feel safe sending them home. Um, and those units have really been shown to provide high quality and efficient care. And, um, you know, I think that is the, that is really the um, goal is to provide safe, high quality, efficient care. Um, and so just changing a patient's status may not necessarily do that, but really thinking of ways to improve care um, in innovative ways, I think that really is the, the true goal. Well, it is. And part of why I like this paper and why I like us publishing papers like this in health affairs is that so many of these policies think of hospital readmission penalties they sort of roll off the tongue. They make sense. 
they address a problem at the time, and then in the real world, they play out in a variety of ways, some of which are quite consistent with the original intent and others that maybe weren't foreseen or uh, anticipated by those who are pursuing them. And it's only through research like yours that we're able to understand what these policies have actually done and then consider alternatives so that we can improve them and make them more effective. It's exactly the type of scholarship we like to publish at Health Affairs. And I'm so glad uh, you did the work and that we were able to publish it. Uh, Dr. Poon, thank you so much for being my guest today on A Health Policy. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about A Health Policy. Health Policy is produced by Health Affairs, the leading journal for health policy research. The team behind the show includes Patty Sweet, Jeff Byers, Julia Vivolo, Sarah Kolk, and Sue Ducat. Like the show? Subscribe to A Health Policy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening, and have a great morning, day, or evening.